from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. true vine and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You, you have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me, I in them, bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like branches and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and as my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. Hagan, you're a pro. Great job. Our second text is from uh, the book of Acts, the eighth chapter, verses 26 through 40. It can be found in your pew Bible, yes, your pew Bible, on page 119, if you'd like to follow along. Continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariots to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. 
Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open uh, these ancient texts to us so that we would see you and hear from you and to be challenged by you and changed by you, formed to even be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I read a social media post a few weeks ago that I sort of saved. Uh, it was quite meaningful to me. And I knew that at some point I, I might use it in a sermon. I knew that at some point that it might show up. And sure enough, it's going to show up today. Of course, I just want to say that not all social media posts are sermon worthy. Uh, not all social media posts are worth sharing. Uh, but this one, this one really caught my attention. It caught my attention because it was honest. It caught my attention because I think it, it challenges the Christian church in a particular way. And it caught my attention because it is really relevant for this season of life as we're making our way through the latter days of COVID. I think there's something to be gleaned here in conversation with our texts that help us prepare for what's next. So here's the social media post. It's written by someone I, I don't know. It was shared by a friend on social media, but I don't know the person who wrote it. This is what they said. I really don't belong in the church anymore. It's a painful reality. I belong with Jesus, but in every church faction, I just don't belong. I don't feel at home and I don't feel safe. I feel at sea, clinging to the cross of Christ, a pilgrim pulled by a deep desire not to compromise. When I first read the post, I immediately wondered what events, what experience, what circumstances precipitated the author's conclusion that they no longer belong in the church? Was this person disenfranchised? Or perhaps they were hurt by some sort of infighting in their congregation? I wondered if they were personally excluded. I wondered if they witnessed someone else being excluded from the community. I wondered if they were made to feel invisible or unwanted or undervalued or somehow less than. I wondered, was this community, their particular community, was it a, you know, a thousand miles wide but only an inch deep? I wondered what happened to them in them, what transpired that convicted this person that they couldn't be home or they couldn't be safe within the community. Now, truth be told, I have no answer to any of these questions that I have raised. I have no insight toward the wonderment that I had. But what I do know is that I absolutely 100% believe this person. I believe them. 
I believe them because I've had enough conversations, right, with enough people who are simply done with church. They're done with church. For one reason or another, they've, they've walked away. They've been let down. They've been alienated. They've been disqualified. They've been heartbroken by what they have observed, by what was taught, or by the general inconsistencies with what was preached week in and week out and what was actually practiced in the life of the community. People are done with church for various reasons. Sometimes people are done with church because they are fatigued spiritually. They're tired of community. Right? I mean, let's, let's be honest. If, if you're going to commit to a church family, if you're really going to make that commitment, if you're really going to put yourself out there and be vulnerable and, and lend your gifts and lend your time and lend your, your energy, you're going to get tired. A commitment to the church takes energy. It takes imagination. It takes intelligence. It takes love. In other words, it takes work. It takes work to do this. It takes work to be the people of God. And look, gospel work will make you tired. And if it doesn't make you tired, it's probably not gospel work. Gospel work will make us tired, spiritually tired, emotionally, psychologically tired, you see, people can not only be burned by the church, but they can be burned out by the church. Gospel work is long work, and some folks, let's be honest, some folks just don't want to do that work. Some folks don't want to do that work anymore. Some, and I've had people actually tell me this, and I'm being sincere about this, they've actually said to me, which is unusual since I'm a pastor, they've said, you know, I've retired from the church. Literally, I've heard people say that. That I've, I've retired from church. Church felt like a job to them. I actually have seen this in my time here and in other churches. When someone rolls off of leadership, it's not that rare for at least one or two of those folks to sort of evaporate, to sort of disappear. They, they gave so much over the course of several years and they, they just sort of pull away. They're done. Churches felt like a job for them and so they, they enter into this sort of like ecclesiastical retirement, right? Or like Christian retirement, church retirement. And unfortunately, truth be told, sometimes people take an early retirement, right? They take an early retirement after confirmation <laughs> or high school graduation or their wedding or their children's baptism. You see, the, the truth of the matter is that people get done with church for a lot of different reasons. It's interesting, from an academic perspective, in religious sociology today, there's a relatively new name and new concept, new theory that categorizes those who have walked away from the organized church. And you may have read about this group or cohort of people. They're called the Duns, D-O-N-E-S. Some of you may have heard of the nuns, right? A lot's been written about them over the last decade or so. This is the emerging group, this very populous group of people who are growing up without any religious affiliation. None. They have none. No religious affiliation at all. What this sociological category creates are people who have had that affiliation and are just done with it. They're 
de-churched. They're not unchurched, they're de-churched. And they're walking away. Josh Packard is a professor of sociology at the University of Northern Colorado. He's spent a lot of time researching the Duns, their attitudes and dispositions. And he recently wrote a book and a a follow-up article about the Duns. And he noted that there's three characteristics that Duns all have in common. At least that's what his research is bearing out. He said, first, Duns were highly active in the life of the church. They weren't passive members. They're very active. They weren't bystanders. They were involved. And they just simply walked away from that. Second, he notes, is that they didn't actually want to leave. As he did these interviews with a lot of these folks who categorize as as duns, he he came to the conclusion that most of them didn't want to leave. They didn't want to give up their community. They didn't want to give up their friendships. They didn't want to give up those connections. It, It mattered to them. Community actually mattered to them, and yet there was a tipping point for them. Something happened, an incident or the sum of of collective incidents with the church in some form of fashion which said, I I just can't be here anymore. As hard as it is to walk away, I just can't be a part of it. Finally, Packard notes that the Duns often feel stifled by the structure and institutionalism of the church. And that's a wake-up call for us Presbyterians who love us some institutionalism. Too many factions, right? Too many hierarchies, too many doctrines, too much governance, too much politics. So Packard summarizes the Dunn's experience with these words. He says that they're done with church. They're tired and fed up with church. They're dissatisfied with the structure or social message or or politics of the institutional church. And they've decided they and their spiritual lives are better off lived outside of organized religion As one of our respondents put it, I guess the church just sort of churched the church out of me. I guess the church just sort of churched the church out of me. You know, turning back to the Facebook post, it it, it seems to me that, that the author here would fit neatly into the cohort of the Duns. I really don't belong in the church anymore they said. It's a painful reality. In every church faction, I just don't belong. I don't feel at home, and I don't feel safe. You know, one of our values here at First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta is cultivating a sense of spiritual home, a community, we say, to which we can belong for a lifetime of faith. And I remember when we were writing these values and the long-range strategic planning team was, was writing these, these values. And I remember being struck by that particular sentence that, that we could create a spiritual home, a community to which we can belong for a lifetime of faith. That if you're here in Atlanta, that our vision is that you would always feel welcome. And that your, your lifetime journey with Christ and within the, the Christian community could be done here. And that we'd make a way, an intentional way for that to happen But even with this ideal and this value in front of us, and even though we strive for that, we have to acknowledge and lament the reality that many people have been hurt by the church. Some have been hurt by this church. Some have been disenfranchised or excluded or burned out by the organized church. 
For some, the church, as we've said, hasn't felt like home. It hasn't felt like a safe community. And I think as the church, and as simple as this sounds, I think we just need to hold space for that. I think we just need to hold space for that and acknowledge it and speak the truth about it, that there are people who are done with the church. There are people who have walked away. What's interesting about Packard's research is that these folks who have walked away from the church, one of the things they're clear on, most of them, is that they haven't walked away from God. It's interesting. They, they, they know they want to walk away from the church, but they don't want to walk away from God. And in some cases, they don't want to walk away from Christianity or from following Jesus. I mean, think about this Facebook post again. The author says this, that even though they're done with the church, they still, did you catch this phrase, cling to the cross of Christ. Did you hear that when I read it earlier? They're walking away, but they're still clinging to the cross of Christ. And I have to tell you that the language in this post is really compelling to me. It's powerful. And it connects me in some way to to the text that Hagen read from John 15, right? Jesus invites any would-be disciple to abide in him and, and that, that, that he would abide in them. And, and the language here in John 15 is some of the most beautiful and poetic and intimate spiritual language we have in the Gospels. That somehow, in some way, that we're invited into this intimacy with, with Christ himself, It's deeply spiritual. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. There's an invitation embedded in John 15, right? To be uh, at one with Christ, to share in this intimacy, to share in this spiritual friendship, to share in this faith and in this personal relationship. We're invited to literally abide with him for us to live in him and for Christ to live in us. And and we have to say that this understanding, this theological truth is essential to the Christian life. It's fundamental to the Christian life that, that Christ can actually live inside of us and we can live inside of Christ and we can have this spiritual intimacy with God. We confess that and we profess that. And let's be honest, and what I'm about to say is deeply Protestant. Many of you know I'm a former Catholic, and so I'm fully aware that what I'm about to say leans into our Protestant ethos, right? Because what we have professed for over 500 years as Protestants is that we actually don't need the church or any single congregation to facilitate that spiritual connection or spiritual intimacy with Christ, to deeply Protestant thought. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have that type of relationship with Christ, that we don't need an outside mediator. You don't need a, a pastor or a priest or an organized church to mediate that intimacy. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's something that's accessible to all of us with or without the church. That's how powerful the Holy Spirit is. With or without the church, that intimacy can be cultivated and created. And I think that this theological truth has for some of the duns, right, for some of the people who have walked away, it's made it a little bit easier to walk away from the organized church because 
they know that they're not walking away from God. And God is not walking away from them. And so with all this said, I think we need to hold space for this truth in front of us. And I'm going to say why in just a few seconds. I think we need to acknowledge it. But there's a caveat here. And as we near the finish line of this sermon, I think it's equally important to elevate another truth, another reality. While it is possible, we've said it, it is possible to have this kind of spiritual intimacy with Christ and to abide in him outside of the church. It's possible that you don't need the church for that. It is impossible, I'd like to suggest. It is absolutely impossible to live the Christian life apart from the Christian community. It's impossible. It's impossible to live the Christian life apart from the Christian community. The Christian life is, is a corporate life. It's an interdependent life. The New Testament is filled with imagery. It's filled with language to this end. My favorite, of course, and one that is super familiar to all of us, is the body of Christ. That we are the body of Christ. That, that you can't belong to Christ unless you belong to his body. And who is his body? It's us. In other words, we belong to each other, and Christ created it this way, that we are his body so that we can practice what Bonhoeffer called life together, so that we can practice what King called the beloved community, that we are for each other, that we are with each other, that we are brought together for this common purpose. And when we separate from the community, let's just speak the truth. While someone who separates can still abide in Christ, we lose accountability. We lose encouragement. We treat Christianity as if it's this individual thing and, and not the corporate reality that it really is. We lose gifts that we do not possess when we walk away. And we withhold gifts that someone else might need. In our text from Acts 8, and there are about a thousand sermons that we could preach from, from Acts chapter 8. But we see this truth that I'm talking about embedded in this particular story, right? You know the story. God calls Philip to intercept an Ethiopian who was trying to understand the scriptures. He was reading Isaiah and he's in his chariot. And, and note that despite his education, right, he's able to read, which is a big deal in the ancient world, so he's educated. And despite his social standing, right, he's basically the CFO, the, direct, the, the uh, Secretary of the Treasury for Ethiopia, right, and he has a very nice ride, so we know he's got some standing. Despite all of this, despite all the gifts that he has, all the power that he has, what does he lack? He doesn't understand the Word of God. He doesn't understand the scriptures that he is reading him, reading, and, and he acknowledges that fact, right? He says, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And led by the Spirit, Philip immediately joined his chariot. Now, the English word joined is super tame for the Greek word that's embedded here in this text. That word literally means to be glued together, to be bonded together. Not just like you're joining me for lunch and then you're gonna go your separate ways, but no, you are connected to me. You, you not only keep company, but you keep uh, this uh, spiritual friendship with me. There is a deeper level, something deeper going on in this text. And it opens for us, I think, the truth that we need each other, that we need each other. I imagine this text is an important metaphor for the Christian life. We're called to be glued together, 
That's what we're called to be, glued together, committed to one another, even as we're committed to Christ. And even as we have intimacy with Christ, we're called to have intimacy with one another in the spiritual sense that we cleave and abide with one another as the body of Christ. So as I close, I, I want to share with you why I felt called and led to preach this particular sermon, because I'll be the first to tell you that this is a pretty, like, simple sermon, right? It, it elevates some, some simple, fundamental truths about the Christian life, two of which that you probably knew before I started preaching, that we can have intimacy with Christ outside of the church, that we don't need a mediator for that, and that we need each other to be Christian community. The reason why I wanted to preach this today, I felt called to preach this today, is because the pandemic, and even though we're coming toward the end of it, we pray, Lord willing, that the pandemic has disrupted much of the ways in which we've been accustomed to practice our life together. Now, I know that we've all done a good job of staying connected. I know that we have live stream, and I know all of, a, of what our digital team has done to keep us connected, our pastors, what they have done to keep us connected. But COVID time really has disrupted the typical routine practice of Christian community. Because it's, let's just be honest, it, it's meant to be more than just watching something or participating in something online. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad all of, our, all of you who are live streaming or connecting remotely are doing that. But we know deep down inside that we need more than that. That we need each other, that we need community. And COVID time has disrupted that and disrupted a lot of the activities that help build authentic Christian community. And I want to be very transparent with you. I'm concerned. I know a lot of my colleagues across the country are concerned. I know our session is concerned that COVID will be the excuse for people to be done with the church. I'm concerned about that. It's not lost on me, by the way, that you're all here hearing this sermon, right? But the reason you're hearing it is because I think we all have a responsibility. I sincerely do. All of us here, live streaming, in the room, across the multiple worship hours we've had today, we need each other. The Christian community was meant to be glued together, and that only is going to be made manifest if we're intentional about it. And I don't know if there's been another time in this church's history where we have to be that much more intentional about what kind of community we're actually creating. Is it a community that people are going to feel at home in? Is it a community that people are going to feel safe in? Or is it a community where they're going to real, really build authentic spiritual friendships that can last a lifetime of faith? And if that is to happen, it's up to us collectively we have to do that work, that gospel work of receiving the gifts of grace. And look, here's the truth. The church is flawed, and it will be flawed. The church will disappoint you. I can guarantee it. And the church will be hypocritical. But we're still called to this beautiful, broken community to be the body of Christ for one another. Friends, it's going to take intention and it's going to take work to be this kind of community. And so I'd invite you to play your part, to play your role in cultivating that authentic community where any person, any person 
can belong for a lifetime of faith. May it be so for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world. Amen.